Tuesday True Crime Show. It is me, Shanna, and I am here today with Chansey. We are doing a impromptu last-minute coverage. Um, Amanda had some stuff come up, so I reached out to Chansey, and he was more than willing and happy and kind enough to join me here in the Crime Rewind world, where I have an open recliner. Welcome, Chansey. Hi. Hi. (laughs) so we normally do and i know you're familiar with the show you're a a, you know avid listener and we usually have the angry amanda scale or angry amanda face scale so i think today in honor of you we will call it the angry pants chancy pants angry scale (laughs) so how how many pairs of pants would you wear uh oh okay i was gonna say like how how many pants are on fire or how many pairs are on fire right so i would have to go with probably four Ooh. because it's a case that's local to us it's an iowa case that i know 100 percent you have heard of okay and we are going back in time to 1995 in mason city iowa okay does the name Jody Hoosentroop ring a bell to you? Vaguely, yes. So Jody Hoosentroop was born June 5th, 1968 to her parents. Um, they were Maurice and jo- Joanne. Um, or, I'm sorry, Imogen. Sorry, Imogen. She went by June. Um, and she grew up in Long Prairie, Minnesota. Um, she was like popular in school and she was actually a member of the state high school championship golfing team in Long Prairie. Like they won the state champion twice. So nice golfing. Hello. I'm not a golfer. No, neither am I. So she graduated from St. Cloud State University and briefly worked, you know, in the area, um, And then she moved to Mason City to work for a CBS affiliate where she worked for KIMT TV. Um, It's a local CBS affiliate there. And she worked as a morning and noon news anchor. And then she was also a producer for the shows between 3 and 4 a.m. Nice. Yeah. Like, news anchor, morning news anchors are a different breed. Like, they... Yeah, they are are some like devoted people that really, really enjoy their work. So on June 27th, 1995, she gets a call from her like co-anchor because she was late. She usually got to the station between four and four 30. And when she hadn't, when four 30 got to be there and she hadn't arrived, her co-host actually called her and woke her up. Um, I'm sorry, it was her producer. Her name was Amy Coons. And um, she was actually her friend as well. 
So Who's in Truth answered the phone and told her that she had overslept and that she would be there shortly. And it was kind of a common thing for Jody to be late. She was typically late a couple of times per week. So they had kind of this fail safe. If she weren't at work by a certain time, Amy would call her and get her up and get her going. Yeah, that's usually Yeah. That's usually how it goes. Yeah. So there when police talked to Amy, they said she said that there was nothing unusual or off in Jody's tone or nothing in her voice indicated there was any kind of problem or stress other than just being late for work. Right. And unfortunately, the news anchor was never heard from again. So it got to be around 7 a.m. and Amy had filled in for her on the news programming and everything. And she started to get alarmed that Jody still wasn't there. I mean, she talked to her, made sure she was up, like, where is she at? So she contacted the Mason City Police Department and asked them to do a welfare check on Jody. And when they got there, they discovered a number of her personal items were strewn all over the parking lot of her apartment building. And these personal items were, like, her purse um, and stuff that she usually used to get ready. Like, she would take her stuff to the station to finish getting ready so it had like hairspray a hair dryer and a pair of heels Um, and those were things that she usually carried with her each day and they actually found the key to her car in the driver's door like the lock and it was bent Hmm. almost like she had put it in there and like maybe someone snatched her and when she let go it bent yeah and also, according to Mason City Police Lieutenant Frank Stearns, um, there were drag marks visible in the rain-soaked pavement. Like, they could, you know, kind of see. That That seems a little weird to me. Like, unless mm. there was, like, mud or something. But... Yeah, I mean, yeah, it depends. Because, like, if it's concrete and it's wet and somebody gets drugged through it, I mean, it's going to leave... Well, I guess if it kept raining, it would just kind of cover it, though. Right. And we're talking hours later. Like, she called yeah. the police. Or Jody left at, like, 4.30. And this was, like, 7, 7.30 by the time police got there. So we're talking, like, three hours. Which seemed weird. But, you know, they said there were marks visible. And also, according to the Mason City Police Department, um, they started interviewing neighbors. And the neighbors said that they had heard a scream. But the apartment complex was near a play or not a playground, a campground. So they kind of just assumed it was like noisy campers, mm-hmm. which sucks. Like, eh. um, police officers and Lieutenant Stern also believe that the crime was likely committed by one person, and they likely knew Jody prior to her joining the TV station. Okay. Um, before she was a TV anchor, she was actually a flight attendant as well. So she, you know, she was pretty comfortable with the public. So aside from her purse that carried her personal items, like her hairspray and her hair dryer and all that, she actually also carried a canvas tote bag. And she usually carried notebooks and computer disks that contained information on like things that she was working on. Mm-hmm. And that bag has never been found. And it was not at the scene and it's never been located. So whoever took her took that bag. Hmm. So in the following years after her disappearance, police actually followed up on thousands of tips and interviewed more than a thousand people. Yeah. In 2008 in June, 
a copy of Jody's personal journal was sent anonymously to the Mason City Globe Gazette. And it came, it contained around 80 pages where Jody spelled out her personal goals and like dreams and it had like inspirational quotes and thoughts and things. Um, so in a story that aired on KIM TV, and this aired in June um, of 2008. Police actually confirmed the copy of the journal was real. And the same copy had been given to police, the DCI and FBI. Um, and in further investigation, it revealed that the police chief's wife had actually been the one that sent the notebook to the Globe. Um, so that seems a little weird that the, the police chief's wife would take such an interest to, you know, send a copy of this journal to newspapers like i it makes me wonder the motivation for that right um her sister joanne nath um this is joe uh jody's sister says that she believes that the person that abducted jody either knew her personally or had stalked her because the individual was privy to her early morning routines and she had a very meticulous and precise morning routine which i find kind of hard to believe if she was late a couple of times right. a week, it's you know that even though she did the same things each day, the time flow it it would be different. And if it to me, if it was someone stalking her, the half hour differential would like kind of throw the the plot or the plan out of the window. Like this is different than you know this isn't going the way that it's supposed to go. Let's you know pull it back. Eh, maybe I mean if they're dedicated. And they're and they know that there's this gray area, they could just hang out and wait. Yeah, I mean that's in theory. But police actually say there's no indications of a stalker whatsoever. Like usually, if there's someone that has a stalker, they've made attempts to reach out to police or you know told family members specific details, and they couldn't find any traces of that. And her sister actually never had any like specific information in regards to a stalker like that Jody had you know come to her and said hey there's this weirdo or you know someone's been following me or anything like that um one of the theories about her disappearance is there was this neighbor named John Van Seist and I might be mispronouncing that if I am sorry don't come for me um, and he immediately came forward and like when he found out that Jody was missing and he like told police, he's like, and on the news and everything is like, Hey, I was the last person to see her alive. That's, uh, suspicious. That's weird. Yeah. Like, why would he say, why would he use the word alive? You know, like who said anything about her, about her being dead? Right. But I mean, it's an easy assumption to make, I suppose, but it's very peculiar for yeah. sure. So let's go into Mr. Van Size because dude's a creeper. So he was like 22, I believe, years older than Jody. Um, and he told police that the night before she went missing that she had visited his apartment and um, they had watched a video together and like i when i first heard that i was like oh they rented a movie or whatever no it was a video of jody's birthday party from a few weeks before that van size had filmed 
and he actually threw the party for her. And like in spots of the video, you can see him like picking her up and twirling her around and like dude really, really wanted people to know that he had thrown this party. Like the invites had his name on them, like thrown by John Van Zeiss or, you know, just weird shit like that. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of stalker. Yeah. And the thing is, um, to this day, he still remains a person of interest. So her sister thinks that John was fascinated and fixated on her, although Mm. Jody had never once mentioned his name to her. Um, So they're both, or, you know, a lot of people are convinced that um, only one person, a lot of people aren't convinced that it was just one person responsible for the crime. Um, Joanne said that her sister's landlord repaired... um, or excuse me, reported hearing two different male voices in the parking lot around the time of her going missing, along with a loud muffler. But if it's an apartment complex, you know, it's hard to differentiate where those sounds are coming from. It could have been a couple buildings down, you know, especially if you're in the middle, it's hard to determine where different sounds are coming for or from. So lots of people have taken an interest in this case and kind of done some freelance work on, you know, exploring it. So there was a gentleman named John Feldhaus, who was a retired computer programmer for the University of South Dakota. Um, And he was a former researcher. Um, And then he spent like 18 years voluntarily interviewing potential suspects and tracking down information. Um, So and then he anytime he would find anything, he would tip off law enforcement And the media, anytime he uncovered any kind of new clues, he would pass the information on to them right away. Um, And in 2005, he told the Gazette um, that this case represented an obsession that he wanted to solve. And unfortunately, in 2013, he passed away and he was never able to solve the case because, as we know, it's still never been solved. In 2009, the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigations established a cold case unit and they have or at that time had approximately 150 cases listed and that this is one of those cases and they're hoping that most of the cases that are listed on there will begin to become more active because of the increasement or the advancements of DNA technology like the genealogy and you know all that stuff so Mm -hmm. in 1982 her father passed away and then in 2014 her mother passed away and neither of them had any information on what happened um, to her and then in, in I believe it was 2001 she was legally declared dead um, let's see here so a January 1994 entry in her journal um, that Jody had listed or written before she went missing kind of gives you an idea of like her personality and it said live with passion daily be passionate in everyday life live the way I want to live be generous and be kind like it's one thing for people to put that stuff like on their social media for other people to read nowadays it's actually pretty common but to write that in your personal journal that you don't share with people because that really tells me that she believed in that you know yeah. 
um, like a manifestation board, but in book form. Right. And I have that. I have, you know, like where I put little mantras and, you know, that stuff. And I read them when I'm feeling kind of down. Um, so the Iowa Cold Case website has received multiple emails and correspondences from a guy named James McIntyre who says that um, her, Josie, Jody's body was recovered during the week of September 29th and October 1st in 1997 and that her remains are in the care of Dr. David Fredrickson in the, in, uh, the Streams County Medical Examiner. So like they're saying, he's saying that they've found her body and they're like hiding it. That's weird. Yeah, I don't, I think that's just kind of off. That's very off. Yeah. Um, so, to, on June 23rd, 2017, uh, Mason City wanted to establish something called Jody Hoosentroot Day to memorialize the day that she disappeared. And her sister Joanne was kind of like against that. She said there's so many people that have gone missing in Iowa that don't have a name, a day named after them. It seems very unfair for Jody to get one when there's so many others as well. Right. So she didn't feel like it was appropriate um, to give attention to one person and not others. She said that it's tacky and I think Jody would find it that way too. Um, so tips in the who's and true case started picking up again after a news documentary aired on December 25th, 2018 on CBS, um, police said that they got at least a couple of dozen new calls or emails and are working to follow up with that information. Um, and again, she was declared legally dead in 2001 and no one's been charged with her disappearance. Um, so there's kind of, there's a lot of different um, theories as far as like what happened to her. There's uh, that one. There is one that said um, there was a, a rapist that was locked up in, in prison. And he told, his name was Tony Jackson. And he told police that um, he was responsible for it. But then they figured out real quick that he was already incarcerated at the time she went missing. So it was probably one of those situations where he was trying to barter better prison conditions for, you know, information and just made the information up. Yeah. And they ruled him out pretty quick as a suspect. So then the next theory was there was a shooting of a man named Bill Prune, and he was shot about three months or so before Jody went missing. And there were some rumors that she had been investigating his murder and you know, that was like someone killed her to shut her up. And that's why all of her materials in her tote bag were missing. But his daughters said that they don't believe that the two cases are, con are, are connected. Um, they said, you know, some people think that she was investigating his death and he was murdered and it put her life in danger. But police and private investigators all agree that there's no connection between the two. Okay. Um, Scott Fuller, who's a team member of findjody.com, says it could literally be anyone in the whole media market because 
it when you're on the news or in the public eye, it gives people unprecedented access to you. Um, yeah. You know, they you're constantly in their their visionals or, you know, like their visions and they see you constantly and they kind of feel like they're entitled to be a part of your life. Well, I can um, see that, yeah. Yeah, and he said it could be anybody that watched her because they felt like they had a connection to her because she was on television. Television, um, And sometimes they respond to that in, in ways and sometimes it's not good. Right. Um, so on the morning that she disappeared, at least three of her neighbors heard a woman screaming around 4.30 around the time that she left for work. Um, and one of those neighbors reported seeing a white Ford Econoline van with its lights on and its engine running. Um, but the nobody old Creeper was Deluxe. Yeah. Yeah. The puppy van is what I call it. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody was ever to pos- able to positively identify that van. So other witnesses claim to have seen and heard an unknown male race up. Um, the stairs to the apartment and pound on Jody's door while yelling and then quickly just dis- disappear after hearing no response. Um, that mysterious incident occurred allegedly around 8 30 PM the night before she went missing. But that is what, when Jody was reportedly with John Van Sice's home. So to this day, the disappearance of Jody still remains unsolved. So I want to kind of go back to, John, because that's ultimately where I kind of find my spidey sense going off. So she had like such a precise routine that it wouldn't have been hard for someone to figure out the best time to abduct her. So they never found anything that tied him to her disappearance, but I don't know like how hard they were actually looking. So there's a lot of evidence, although it's like totally circumstantial, that it kind of makes me think that John had something to do with it. So his account or his story doesn't really line up with the timeline of events that police were able to establish. Um, So he really, really, really wanted to emphasize that Jody had or was over at his house watching the video of the birthday party that he threw for her. And he wanted to everyone to know, like I said, that he had thrown the party for by putting his name on the invitation flyers. Mm-hmm. So earlier in that day, she had played golf all day and gotten home kind of late. So what I'm thinking is, like, I think John was totally obsessed with her. So I think oh, he probably sure. invited her over to watch the video that he held for her, or you know, the party. Right. And she was like, oh, you know, I, I really don't feel up to it tonight. I golfed all afternoon. I've got to get up early in the morning. Um, so I think he kind of had all night to just kind of be mad about it and just kind of fester. So there were actually a row of beer cans on the block wall outside the apartment building. And they were, the beer cans were the exact same kind of beer that John Van Sants or Van Sice drank. So I feel like he just, like, hung out outside her apartment just waiting for her. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, like, and I don't know if he had the intention to abduct her or if he just wanted to, you know, like, talk to her. And if she was running late, she might have totally blown him off and be like, you know what, I can't do this right now. And, you know, just kind of, he lost his shit when she turned him down. Right. 
Another person speculates that she may have had a gentleman over that night. Um, oh. Not John. And then right. maybe he, you know, found that out and he got mad when she came outside and, you know, like he had, she had rebuffed his advances, but entertained another gentleman. Um, so maybe that was like the cause, um, you know, as far as why he lost his shit. Um, another thing that kind of set me kind of wonky is he did an interview Um, where he said like super calm I think she'll come back I really do and it's like if if she was as close a friend to him as he said he is like why is he not disturbed why is he not upset you know why is he just so even keel Uh, I mean if he knows more than he's talking about exactly so unfortunately because they didn't have any probable cause they never searched any of his vehicles and um, anything like that. And guess what kind of uh, work vehicle Mr. Van Slice drove? The old Creeper Deluxe. The puppy van. So they never searched it or anything. They And then they were never able to track it down after all of that. Um, oh, but of course. Yeah. Um, he actually named his boat after her as well. God, that's creepy. I know. Like, people name their boats after women. Usually their wife or something, but not, like, some, you know, chick that you have a crush on. Right. So, to me, like, John is my most likely, um, you know, suspect. He makes the most sense. Right. And he has never been, like, He's never not been a person of interest. He's always remained one. And unfortunately, now he suffers from severe dementia. So any information or any questions that law enforcement would have, they can't ask him because he doesn't. He's deteriorated so much that he mentally can't comprehend what they're asking. Yeah. There was also a rumor that Jody was investigating a like a drug source, like a drug ring. Okay. But like nothing, like she wasn't a investigative reporter. Like a lot of people are like, Oh, she must've been doing a story on, and you know, found something out. She wasn't that, she was a news anchor. She wasn't a, you know, like a hard hitting reporter or anything. She had the news handed to her. And that, that doesn't mean she didn't have aspirations of being a reporter where she, you know, got to investigate things and wasn't, you know, sidelining doing some of that stuff like freelancing that, you know, she could be. And maybe that's what yeah. the contents of her duffel bag were. But I really... That would make sense. Yeah. But I can't help but think that it's Captain Creeper John Van Syke. Captain Creeper. <laughs> <laughs> it, it So far, it literally makes the most sense. Yeah. I think he was like an unrequited lover. Like he wanted to have more... I mean, he was quite a bit older than her. She was in her late 20s and he was... I want to say early 50s. Oh. Yeah. Like quite a bit older. So I know there's a lot of people that said like, okay, maybe they were in a relationship and she didn't want to tell anybody because she was embarrassed about the age difference. Like back then it was kind of a thing. Yeah. But there really isn't any 
information pointing to, to confirming that they were in any type of relationship. And if she kept journals as meticulously as she did, you'd think that there would be some kind of documentation about that. That plus, I mean, Captain Creeper would have been screaming it at the top of a mountain. Exactly. I just, he just seemed very lackadaisical when she went missing. Like he was just kind of popping around like a creeper, you know, like I keep picturing Jim Carrey, like when he's, you know, like there's something going on and he's like popping up around everybody's heads. Like, what are you doing? What's going on? You know, I just, the fact that that wants to get involved with the investigation, but not look guilty. And I think that's why he was like, I was the last person to see her alive. Like, settle down, sir. Yeah, that's a bit, that's a jump. I mean, to say something like that kind of almost shows your hand if you're, if you're trying to be nonchalant about something. Right? Like, nothing says I'm guilty, like telling you I'm not guilty by, you know, proclaiming that she's not alive anymore. Right. She's literally been gone 15 minutes. You've only yeah. been here 15 minutes, but she's not alive anymore. And they didn't, yeah. even though they saw signs of a struggle in the parking lot, there weren't, there wasn't like any blood or anything. Yeah, I was going to ask if there was any kind of signs of distress I rather mean, than the struggle that, itself. Right. There wasn't any like, you know, blood or anything, which means it was probably a snatch and grab. Yeah. And the thing is, is that white creeper van, the Puppy Deluxe, was in that parking lot for like a day and a half after she went missing and they never searched it. And then that's when it disappeared. When they started poking around and asking more questions. So people think that she was probably in that van while they were looking for her. And then, you know, he's like, well, I got to go to work. He drove off in the creeper van and took her body somewhere. Weird. I mean, how do you know? Okay, like that does not make sense. You're looking for somebody. There is a glaring hiding place. Yeah, but the no, problem is. No attempt. Yeah, you can't open it without. A warrant. You know, right. And at that point, they really didn't have any reason for a warrant. Now, it doesn't, I don't know. I didn't find anything on whether they asked him if they could open it. Yeah, I was going to say, used. but to me, uh, if they had that would be weird. Me, yeah, that would be like, you know, cringy if they're like, hey, I have a serial killer van, but please don't look in there. <laughs> There's someone missing, but my van had nothing to do with it. So right. no, no need to look here. But it's just, and the fact that they've never found her body. And I mean, we're in Iowa, so there's lots of places to get rid of a body. But to have not had any signs of it in, you know, almost 30 years now. Not one yeah, DNA, nothing. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, what did he do for a living? He did, like, handyman stuff. Oh, yeah? Hmm, no shortage of tools for that either. Right, and, like, lots of, you know, like, let's say he poured some cement in someone's basement that day. Right. You know, it could be anything. Could have dumped her down a well out in the country. Yeah. There's lots of, you know, there's just so many different, 
I think living in Iowa presents so many different body disposal options than like living in a city. Oh, for sure. And there's lots of places that are uninhabited at, you know, late at night, like out in the country. There's woods, there's, you know, all sorts of stuff. So I'm pretty sure she's out there somewhere. I mean, obviously she's out there somewhere. But I think eventually someone's going to come across something. You would think, I mean, for 30 years, I mean, with all the people going out and looking for like mushroom hunting and all types of other outdoors and stuff. Yeah. I was going to say that, that, that is the area, like the land of the geodes. Yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, maybe there, she's in a cave somewhere. That's also valid. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Because I, for one, am not going in any into any caves. Oh no, no. I've seen enough movies, and like that's one of the destinations you will not find me in. I will not go <laughs> cave diving. I will not go in submersibles. <laughs> I will not go into hot air balloons. Oh yeah, no, no chance. No. There are just certain places that fat people were not meant to go, and those are them. <laughs> Like, no, thank you. So that is the case of Jody Hoosentrout, missing Mason City, Iowa news anchor woman. <sighs> wow. I hate when they're, I hate when, that's the one thing I hate about this, this show is like nine times out of 10, there's no answer. Yeah. I was like, that's such little information. Yeah. That's, uh. Yeah, dude, honestly, if I'm going to go out on a stretch, I'm I'm kind of with you. It's got to be it's got to be old John. It's a shame that he's, you know, I mean it's a shame he's got to mention in the first place, but it's also a shame that like no healthcare providers would have been around to hear something like some random moment of clarity or perceived moment of clarity where he's kind of just rambling and talking about stuff. Yeah, and who knows, maybe he's had those, but they just have chalked it up to the dementia and never really reported anything. That's valid. Like, when my grandfather had Alzheimer's, he had so many stories that I 100% knew weren't true. Yeah. Like, I know 100% that he never climbed the Sears Tower. I know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Because he was as afraid of heights as I am. Yeah. So, I mean, he would spout off just random mumblings of things. And, like, everyone's just like, okay, Grandpa. Okay. You know. Okay, Grandpa. <laughs> Eat your pudding. And, like, I wonder if he has given up any information and it was just kind of written off. Now, I would hate to think that knowing, you know, that people probably know that he was a suspect in a case of a missing person, that they wouldn't take any information that he may, you know, say in an utterance and, you know, give it to him for, to police to maybe investigate. Right. But sadly, in a lot of times in those places where people with dementia go, they spend so much time alone. Valid. That's so, also I true. Mean, he might just be talking to himself and no one hearing, or the person caring for him may care about their paycheck and just kind of ignore whatever he says. 
not really putting yeah. two and two together. <laughs> I'm hoping that he wrote like some confessional letter and tucked it away after his death and then it'll go to a lawyer. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a good twist. I think Something if I get... ever committed a crime, I would do that. Like I would put my confession in my safety deposit box with my key and then, you know, in the will give the key to someone I trusted to do the right thing. Yeah. Because if, I mean, I I'm not a crime. I'm not a criminal, but if I ever committed a crime that would put someone else's life in agony, I'd want them to have the answers. And I'm just selfish enough that I would keep the truth as long as I could enjoy my life. And then I'd give them the answers when I was done. I mean, that's yeah, that's. But I have no I, problem telling people that I'm a bad person. I'm, you know, like I'm a good person. I'm just not a nice one. Right. You know, so like if you ever get a letter from an attorney that says, Hey, go clean out Shan's safety deposit box. Do this, do with that what you will. If you want, if you want that kind of information, like you're like, I wonder what's in there. It's like the coordinates to Jimmy Hoffa. It'll be fine. (laughs) I, uh, if I was going to do something like that, I don't think I would, uh, I don't think I'd write it down. I just kind of let it, be one of those unsolved mysteries. Yeah, but if it was if it was like someone's family out there looking for answers, you wouldn't want them to have that after you died. No. <laughs> You're like, what if the the bank burns down and the, the integrity of my safety deposit box is compromised and someone finds that letter? Exactly. <laughs> you know, you you don't have the luxury of waiting until you're dead when something like that happens. Yeah, that's my luck too. Like someone would give them the keys to the, someone else, the keys to the wrong deposit box, and they'd open it up and be like, Shanna, she killed nine people. <laughs> yeah, I would, uh, I'd say that honestly, I mean, it makes the most sense because, like, you were talking about the night before her disappearance, somebody showed up at 8 30, mm-hmm. which makes sense if John would have asked her to come over and she said no. And he's already Super Creeper Deluxe 4000, so he's posted up, and then he sees, he sees her show up with some other dude. That's yeah. going to cause a problem. That is. And there, you know what's weird, too, is I found some sources, I couldn't confirm it, that said he didn't even live in the apartment building anymore. He just hung out? Yeah, like, and that's why, you know, the beer cans were outside. He was just waiting for her to come home. See, that's weird. (laughs) And another thing, too, that they mentioned was she had just gotten a new car. Yeah. So, and they had assigned parking. So, if John had shown up and seen a strange car in her spot, he may have just assumed it was someone else. Also valid. Not realizing that she had bought a new car. Yeah. That's valid. I didn't think about that. I completely forgot about the new car thing. She had a a cherry red Mazda Miata. Ooh, yuck. But back in the day, you know, it was a convertible. She was a girl. Cherry uh, red, you know, yeah. convertible. Yeah, but those cars are so tiny. Yeah, but she was the only person driving it. <laughs> she That's valid. You know, it's kind of a sporty thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. 
So that brings us to the conclusion of Jody Who's in Truth. Do you want to go over where people can find you and all of the stuff that you have going on, Mr. Chancy Pants? Uh, you know, they can find me on YouTube uh, at Maniacal Music Musings. We usually go live every Tuesday or so. Um, my name on Facebook, uh, on Instagram and TikTok, it's uh, the Red Eye Roundtable. On Twitter, it's Red Eye Pod. Um, I'm kind of everywhere, really. <laughs> everywhere and nowhere. You will podcast for exposure. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to reach out and say thank you so much for joining me on such short notice. Um, yeah, no, no problem at all. Giving Amanda the chance to kind of do some of the stuff that she needed to do in her personal life. I may need to have you step in again at some point. She's planning a vacation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So thank you again. And I am Shanna, the one member of the armchair detective team. Amanda, again, is dealing with stuff outside of the podcast world so she will be back soon otherwise you can catch me on um literature reapers with amanda casey and myself Um, we drop every first monday of the month and we are currently number six on good pods so woohoo Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Also a frequent flyer on Amanda's show, The Sip List, and um, Casey's show, An Evening at the Movies. Um, Always a good time. Yes, absolutely. Um, So I will be doing uh, my birthday in Evening at the Movies, and I chose America's favorite movie, the patriotic classic, Good Burger. (laughs) They're making a second one, I heard. I hope so. So, yes, Good Burger is my birthday choice, along with my current choice that we will be doing, Cool as Ice, soon. Ooh. Yeah. So, thank you again for joining me, and Amanda appreciates you filling in as well. Oh, yeah. No problem. So, everyone can kind of stretch their legs, um, you know, and definitely go out and explore the case, find information. We would absolutely love to hear your thoughts and theories on our Facebook page. Crime Rewind, and everyone have a fantastic Tuesday and the rest of your week. Yeah. Yeah, Casey was asking me some questions. Yes, it's recording right now. (laughs) Right now. See? See the red dot? Tell him to let me lick his toes. Go for it. I'm tickling. She can't do that. No. She said no. She said yes. No, she didn't. She said go for it. Damn it. How do you know this? Get out of there.